Hello and welcome to another episode of The Code of Career with me, your host, Cameron Blackwood. Today's guest is Mike Davies. Mike is the co-founder and COO of the app Haystack, where you can look for the very best companies in the technology industry. Mike himself is originally a software engineer with a specialism in mobile development. So we have a bit of a chat about mobile. We also as well talk about how one can grow as a software engineer, the best strategies when it comes to looking for new jobs and as well, personal development. Before we do get started though, I do just want to quickly shout out my YouTube channel. You can find it under Cameron Blackwood or at Cameron Blackwood Code. I'm really trying to post more content on there that hopefully you will all find useful. And also as a bonus announcement, the podcast is temporarily going to be going back to a weekly schedule. I won't be able to keep this up forever, but I have a load of great episodes that have already been recorded. So I don't want to just sit on them for ages. I'd rather people get to hear them. So for the next couple of months, you can expect a new episode of The Code of Career every Monday, although this will go back to fortnightly eventually. Enjoy the show. The labor market as a whole is changing and tech companies are always at the forefront of innovation. More and more companies are adopting a four-day work week so 32 hours at a full salary. Imagine what you could do with an extra day in your week. You could spend more time with your family, work on side projects, or take up a new hobby. And that's why I'm delighted to say that The Code of Career is brought to you by 4dayweek.io. Created by previous guest, Phil McParlin. It's a job board where you can find the very best jobs that work a 32-hour work week. So what are you waiting for? Get that extra day in your week. Go to 4dayweek.io to find out more. Hey Mike, thanks so much for joining me. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm all good. Thanks. Good, good. And for listeners who haven't come across you or Haystack before, do you want to give a bit of a rundown about who you are and what what Haystack does? Yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, hello everybody. Um, I'm Mike. I'm one of the co-founders here at Haystack. Um, I guess the official job title is Chief Operation Officer. Uh, back in the day, I used to be a software engineer. Um, still do a little bit of coding, kind of here and there. Um, but my role has, has sort of evolved over time. Um, kind of in a needs must type scenario. Um, yeah, so what, what do we do here at Haystack? Um, uh, I guess the one-liner sort of elevator pitches, um, we're, we're basically a, a, a data insights and careers marketplace uh, built for techies by techies. Um, it's one of the kind of age-old rhetorics that you, you hear pretty much across the board now that basically tech recruitment is pretty much broken um, and kind of stuck in the dark ages a little bit. Um, so our ultimate goal and ultimate mission is to basically fix that. Um, what we wanted to create was was basically a completely unbiased level playing field um, that really just allowed techies, and what I mean by techies is sort of general tech professionals, so software engineers, DevOps engineers, QA testers, UX, UI designers, to basically dive it headfirst into the tech scene and explore, uncover, discover cool, interesting opportunities without being constantly bombarded and pestered by recruitment agencies, um, but also free from the the kind of boredom and never-ending scrolling that you find on 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 the, the big job boards out there. Um, so yeah, that's kind of a, a, I guess, a basic whistle-stop tour of, of Haystack. Yeah, it's a really interesting proposition. Um, I think when we first got chatting about it, I, I think you described it as like a portal, uh, almost like how when someone looks for a house, they might look at Rightmove or Zoopla. You want to yeah. be kind of like that for, for the tech job market, right? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. Um, and, you know, we love it when we see users using Haystack in, in that way. Um, I think one of the biggest things is we don't just see it for people who are actively looking right then and there. Um I mean, nobody, 
yeah, I mean, in today's market, I would say the vast majority of people are just kind of constantly sort of keeping an eye on things, just seeing what's out there. Um, and that's really where our sweet spot is, I would say. Um, so it's built for people who are currently in work um, and just kind of want to use us to keep their finger on the pulse in the same way that you would, like you say, you use the right move, move analogy. And I often find it's quite cliche when um, when businesses describe themselves like other, other companies or uh, there's always that old, uh, it's like Uber for, Uber for X. Well, in, this, in a similar sort of sense, we're kind of like right move, but for tech professionals, so in the same way that you have, yes, like you say, you're in the run up to buying a house, you use right move um, kind of uh, constantly day in, day out. But when you've actually bought a house and you just want to keep an eye on the housing market, you might use it irregularly, and that's absolutely fine. That's kind of their, their sweet spot. Um, that's sort of where we sit, but for but for job seekers as well. Yeah, I, I like I like the analogy especially because it applies just so well to what you do. Because back even sort of six or seven years ago, before um, you know we had any platform like yours, um, we would have to call up a recruiter, find out what jobs they've got on. Because in the UK, and the majority of listeners are in the UK, our industry is incredibly kind of hidden behind a recruitment consult, um, curtain almost. Mm. And it's a very heavily recruited uh, in the agency model. And I think we're moving away more into embedded talent solutions, but that could be a whole podcast in of itself. And um, yeah. I think whilst I've worked with great recruiters and I know a lot of great recruiters and they still will have their use going forward, much like how estate agents aren't gone. Um, if you want to have a quick, good view at the market and see what companies are out there and their and their proposition, you know, it, it's so much easier than calling around 10 different recruiters and then yeah. having to go through a load of hoops to find out the company name and everything like that. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Like you say, I don't want to downplay recruiters because there are some really good ones out there. Um, but there's, in the same, I guess it's the same as any industry. A few bad eggs kind of uh, can give a, an entire industry a, a bad name, I think. Um, but one of my biggest gripes, I would say, when I when I used recruiters as a, as a software engineer was um, it was always just, you could tell there was a, a few clients that they worked with. Um, and even though they, they, they would claim to sort of find the best match for you or, or whatever it is. Um, that best match just happened to be the person that was going to pay them the most. <laughs> and it was kind of the, the list that was at the top of their, at the top of their little, little black book. Um, like I said, but, but for me as a dev and, you know, I, without, without kind of sounding big headed and I think it's the case for a lot of, a lot of developers and techies, our skill set is extremely in demand and, we kind of need to know our worth a little bit. Um, essentially, we we do have pick of the litter. It's not like a it's not like another profession where um, I don't know people get inundated with with applicants left, right, and center. In the tech space, if you're really qualified, like and you, and you kind of know um, you know your trade really well, um, you you have that freedom of choice, um, which is kind of why we're seeing a lot of companies that. Um, are really investing in employer brand initiatives and things like it used to be, it used to be throwing a ping pong table and we'll try and get and that'll be, <laughs> that's the, the routes to getting the, the, the best, um, the best talent. Um, and everybody kind of thought, you know, it's a bit quirky, but the reason that everybody was doing it is ultimately because they want the best developers and they want the best talent. Um, so I think we, uh, we as developers and, and tech professionals can use that to our advantage. You know, you've got, you've got the tools to essentially survey the entire tech scene. And you can be super selective in that sense. So you can find a company that's building a product that you really, really like 
and you're really super into, or maybe they've got a, a great mission that you feel like you can get behind. So that's the kind of thing that, that that's what drove me when I was doing my job search. Um, and I, I, I always felt like there wasn't really any tools out there to actually do that other than randomly stumbling upon an article that was written, written about a company. Um, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to be able to find the, the, the companies that were driving, uh, really, really mission driven or building cool products and had great culture behind it and, you know, modern technologies as well. Yeah. You can get a macro level fairly easily via like salary reports, that kind of thing, but that's actually not that useful when you're trying to drill down to your specific job search and the companies you're going yeah. for. Yeah. And that, that, that's why these solutions make sense. And it's not just about the money as well, because there are websites like levels.fyi or XYZ, I can't remember which it is. Um, you know, they're handy because you can just see straight up how much um, a, a, a company pays, but like mm. it's, there's a lot more factors that are important than, uh, than salary. And, um, even just in terms of the actual cash value of your compensation, you've got to take into account the benefits as well. Yeah. Uh, and then that's not even taking into account stuff like how the company culture and how it is to work day to day. Yeah, definitely. I mean, salary is obviously huge. You, you don't want to get underpaid for the work that you're doing. Um, I guess it's one of those. It's always it's always a toss up. I think if you if you go and if you're interested in working at a startup or up and coming company anyway, you're probably going to have to accept that you might have to take a little bit of a hit in a salary. But to really sort of get stuck into the into the company and, and, you know, really make a stamp on the product that you're building. Um, but again, it just kind of comes down to that, to that person. I, for me, salary, especially early in my career, salary wasn't a huge thing personally. Anyway, I wanted to join a small kind of, uh, I guess, rapidly scaling company where I could really dive into the code base, actually start cranking out features and then tangibly see them in the product uh, kind of, the following week essentially and see that actual customers were using them and I could kind of put my name to that feature whereas I always felt personally and as a, as a young dev that I didn't particularly want to go down the sort of corporate route essentially like you say I was willing to sacrifice salary for this um, like say a smaller team cool product and the ability to really sort of get stuck in and kind of get my hands dirty a little bit Mm, that's an interesting perspective because I definitely feel like there's a sweet spot to be had um, for your first couple of dev jobs. And uh, right. a lot of people listening to this show are either are, are trying to get their first dev job, actually. And I think for me, I had uh, I got made redundant very early on for my first um, dev job, actually. And there were only four of us in the company. And part of me felt like um, it was almost a bit of a blessing in disguise for that to happen because... Mm it was such a small team. And then I joined a company where we had about 15 developers, but only three of us were front enders. So I learned directly from two, uh, two guys who were extremely experienced. And I felt like that was my sort of sweet spot where I could make meaningful contributions to mm. the company's code base. Um, but also as well without panicking because uh, of the features I would have to deliver on or, or the fact that yeah. in the first job, it was all entirely greenfield. And that's actually a dream for people like us now because we're a bit we're more experienced. It's like, yeah, oh, great, yeah, yeah. I can write what I want. But, you know, when I was, I barely learned JavaScript that year and I was trying to, I was trying to code up a whole new feature in React. It was a bit of a nightmare. I mean, do, do yeah. you think there is a sweet spot people should, should look for? Um. Yeah, again, but it also comes down to appetite for risk, I think, as well. Um, for me, I mean, naturally, I've, I'm pretty risk-averse. I wouldn't have kind of started a company myself if, if, if I wasn't. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, it's, it's, it's about having the freedom of choice, ultimately. Mm -hmm. Again, it kind of comes back to what we, what, what we, what we push for on, on Haystack. We, we've got really small up-and-coming startups, pre-Series A stage. 
but then there are those kind of huge employees um, where you know you can you can you can bring in the big bucks and um, and they've got all the kind of cushy benefits there there for you. Um, and again, it, it depends very much on it. Sometimes very much depends on on the stage of career that you're in as well. Um, like I said, in my opinion, I always I always thought my my early career was the time to take risks, um, and then when I'm in my thirties and stuff, it's that, that's kind of I don't know. Maybe I'll slow down a little bit then. Yeah, maybe yeah. not. Probably not. Actually, <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Um, I mean, in terms of actually how you got into development in the first place, you took the fairly conventional route and you did a comp side degree and everything like that. Like, what made you decide to apply for that straight in school? Because there's still not actually that many people doing it, really, on on a macro level in the UK. Yeah, there's there's even less women doing it as well. Um, yeah, very true. There's, there's barely any when I was even when I was at uni. Um, yeah, I mean, I was always interested in computers. To be honest, um, it just felt like the natural progression for me. It was the only thing I was interested in. To be honest, like I would, I would also be reading up on tech companies constantly. It's again, mm. it's very cliche, um, but that that was sort of that was the big appeal for me. Um, I would I would read, you know, you when when you're young, you're reading like stuff about kind of celebrities and and people and the people that you look up to. Well, the people that I particularly looked up to were kind of all these these tech entrepreneurs. And so it felt like that's the sort of natural progression for me. Um, and, you know, I actually really liked uni. Um, I thought it was really good. It was a good opportunity to, um, <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily say it was a, a great opportunity in terms of figuring out how to build and deploy actual sort of production ready products. Um, Cause I think the best way to do that is to really just dive in head first. And if you've got an idea, see if you can, put pen to paper basically um just start putting down lines of code and see how far you get um but yeah i guess it, it helped me build up this sort of fundamental understanding of what actually goes on behind the scenes rather than just thinking about uh, you know i'm writing stuff in javascript or you know i'm using react for this um you can kind of get a basic understanding um but in uh, no way shape or form do you need a computer science degree definitely not mm. um I think some of the best developers I've met are essentially bedroom developers that have picked it up and as a hobby, basically. Um, and like I say, and, and it's that sort of that initiative and that level of creativity to just dive in head first and just a constant curiosity of I've got an idea, can I build it? Basically, uh, that's what I think produces the best developers. Yeah, that that makes sense. And you definitely just learn by building. I mean. Um, I don't know if you come across the indie hacking movement uh, yeah, much, yeah, yeah. but I, I, I'm super into it, and uh, I discovered it last year, and I, I've been really into it ever since. And I'm, I'm building an app called Pinpoint at the moment, which is right. basically it's kind of not really been done before. I've been trying to search for it, which is either a great thing or a really worrying thing. <laughs> I haven't decided either way, but it's supposed to be like your almost like your virtual PA for uh, for your job search because right. obviously it's very hard to make an objective decision. Uh, mm. on your on your job search so i'm going to try and make it uh it's it's i'm coding at the moment it's a data-driven uh approach to making objective decisions uh yeah. on your job search so it, it's been it's been an interesting experience because i'm just having to do a lot of stuff that i've never really done before and i'm mainly a front-end developer as the regular mm. listeners will know um i've been having to get to grips with Superbase and and learning um sql and stuff like that yeah. and you know there have been days where i'm struggling over something that would be trivial yeah, yeah. for a back-end developer 
but yeah. now I know it and that, that that's the critical thing. So I, I totally agree. Mm. Just one of the best things to do is just build regardless of, you know, where, where you are and what you're doing in life. If you've got the time, just try mm. and build something because you, you'll learn more. I mean, what yeah, I'd say yeah. about the comp side question is if someone came to me now and said, I want to go to uni to do comp side, I'd say, well, make sure you maybe try and start some kind of business while you're in uni doing that because there's no other, there's no better time to try it kind of as a dummy run than you yeah. really. That's, that's what I did. Um, I had a, well, I had a couple of very small businesses when I was, I was at uni. Um, they, they basically paid for a few beers and stuff when I was there. It wasn't anything particularly big, but you know, I was still, uh, yeah, I did stuff while I was there. Um, I actually, my, um, my dissertation project was essentially a version of TaskRabbit. I don't know if you've came across TaskRabbit before, yeah. um, but I, I made it and then realized that there was another company called TaskRabbit operating in the U S and then all of a sudden they came to the UK. <laughs> so yeah, it was called odd jobs, actually my version of it. Um, but yeah, near enough anyway. Um, but yeah, I, I completely agree. I think just, you know, get your head down. If you've got an idea, see if you can put, well, start cranking out lines of code basically. And I think you'll figure it out as you go. And there's a, there's a natural curiosity there that, that always helps as well. Um, yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. There's an old saying you either win or learn. And I, I, when it comes to creating software products, like learning to code is in the humblest way possible is a bit of a superpower in the way that you can launch uh, a tech company with zero pounds, right? If you already know how to code. And um, I actually gave a talk at uh, BJSS in, in Glasgow uh, last week um, about what developers can learn from Soldier Boy, um, uh, who obviously came out with that, with that hit song, Crank That, which, you know, I was Bluetooth many times on the, on the back of the bus in 2007. And um, the reason why I talked about that was because he basically leveraged all the free music production tools he could find to create something that was going to be marketable. And then he leveraged free marketing tools to promote it on MySpace at the time. Um, mm. And it sounds kind of goofy, but he became like a, like a world star, basically, like overnight through leveraging yeah. free tools. And developers can do the same thing. I mean, it got a good laugh in the, uh, uh, in the audience. So I, I don't know, you know, yeah, <laughs> I, don't, good, I don't know how much of a stretch it was, but yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a good analogy, to be honest. Uh, I think you're exactly right. Um, yeah, I mean, build something, put it out there, see how people respond. Um, but I, one thing I would say is, as well, when I guess when it does come to building the business, personally, when I when I first started out, I often had that it was kind of the, the age old analogy of build it and they will come um, as though everybody, as soon as you put a product out, everybody's going to be bowled over by how good it is. Um, that wasn't the case. <laughs> um, we had a graft very, very hard to get our first users and our first actual paying customers as well. Um, so yes, there is, yeah, the, 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 there's a, a certain type of character who I think if you are looking to build a product and actually get a, get a product into people's hands and, and get people using it, yes, you have to be a decent dev, but you also have to be a pretty good marketer as well, or at least yeah. have some kind of marketing savvy, I think. Um, there's no such thing as stick it up on the app store and all of a sudden you're going to be discovered. Um, it just doesn't work like that. You're going to have to kind of, yeah, put yourself out there a little bit. Um, so, and marketing yeah. is so much harder than people give it credit for, uh, usually as devs. Yeah. Like, marketing is something that I feel like I can sell and I feel like I can code, but marketing is 
I just don't understand any of it. I, my eternal respect goes to marketers because I can never make sense of any of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those. It's, it's just such a, the, the lines are constantly blurred, to be honest, um, from what I can tell. There's, there's also no silver bullet. Um, what might work for one business might not work or could completely fail for another business. Um, so I think it's just one of those. You, as soon as you get, as soon as you get something out there and into people's hands, it's just a constant, it's back to this kind of constant iterative learning process. Let's try one thing, see if we can get some users, see if we can see if we can get some actual paying customers. If that doesn't work on to the next thing, um, kind of move on quickly. And it goes back to that old sort of build, measure, learn, basically. Um, build, build, the, build the minimum that you can get away with. Don't sort of, don't think about all these crazy shiny features because nine times out of 10, nobody's going to give a shit basically. Um, yeah. Build it, get it out there. Get get it into people's hands. Talk to your customers and figure out figure figure it out how figure out how they're using it, what they like, what they don't like, and then the next time around it'll be slightly better. Yeah, I mean, as Reed Hoffman said, if you're not embarrassed by your M- MVP, you've launched too late. Oh God, ours was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, how was that process like? What what did you what did you build the first version of Haystack with? Like, what challenges did you have? Yeah, uh, ours has always been React Native. The, so the mobile apps all built in React Native. Um, what challenges do we have? Well, a lot, to be honest. Um, so I initially, before starting Haystack, so I, I had a company of my own by myself. So my, my two co-founders, Chris and Rob, came on a, a little bit later. Um, but I was kind of part of a, an accelerator program up here in Newcastle. Um, it was a similar idea to Haystack, but I basically had no money. Um, no funding and kind of essentially no, yeah, yeah, no, no, not enough capital behind me to really make a dent, I would say. Um, so before I went out to anybody, any kind of investors or anything, I was, and before I basically spent hours and hours putting down lines of code, um, I wanted to basically validate the idea and see if the, see if anybody would actually use it first. Um, so all I did was just spin up a landing page start a newsletter and basically just started talking crap about interest and opportunities and see if I could see if I could um, get some signups from it. Um, it was like, well, what, what startups are doing cool things in Newcastle, Manchester, Leeds, what are the cool dev opportunities going? Um, and in the end, I just ended up having a few thousand signups on a newsletter that was broadly around the topic that I was interested in, which is, you know, uncovering cool opportunities in the tech scene. Um, and I thought, right, okay, I can get a few thousand signups basically for free on a newsletter. I would imagine I'll probably be able to do it on an app. And if I had some cash behind it, I could probably light a fire under it, basically. Um, and that was literally enough for me to start going out there and speaking to investors um, who also kind of had basically the same idea as me. Uh, and it, it, to be honest, the whole process was... I was a very lucky to meet the people that I did. So our, our first investor, you know, he he just exited a SaaS business, had seen the problems, but on the employer side, um, my two co-founders were working with my first investor to sort of build a very similar product. Um, and then naturally, we just all sort of came together. Um, and I guess kind of the rest is, the rest is history there. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you look back at, how the product evolved, like God, it, like I say, it pretty much started from a newsletter, basically, um, and then 
it was a case of, right, let's, okay, we've got a newsletter. What would happen if we turned on some ads? <laughs> let's see if we can get some signups to the landing page. Okay, we can get some signups for some ads. I would imagine it would be even better if we put a mobile app there. React Native is an interesting choice for the, for the tech stack, but a very powerful one. Um, yeah. What made you, I guess I probably kind of know the answer, but what, what, what made you choose React Native and would you recommend it? Yeah, I mean, the first thing was we wanted iOS and Android, basically. Um, mm. Would I recommend it? Yes, because we were strapped for cash, to be honest. Um, I think if we had massive amounts of funding from day one and wanted and knew exactly the kind of product that we wanted to build, um, I think we would probably go for, yeah, we'd probably go full full native, I would say. Um, I guess well, React Native technically is native. I don't know. I don't know enough about it to even make a comment on it nowadays. Um, but yeah, you know, like a fully native kind of Swift or Java, either iOS plus an Android app, you know what I mean? Uh, rather than one uniform, uniform code base. Um, you just get more flexibility and more ability, more ability to actually build quirky, interesting UI, UX uh, tweaks and things. Um, I think it was probably a good choice, to be honest, because like I say, it allowed us to basically get it out on two platforms rather than just the one. Um, and if you look at our user base now, it's pretty much split 50-50. Um, so we, we would basically would have split our split the total addressable audience in half. Um, so I think it was a, I think it was a good move. Um, the only challenge with mobile apps, I mean, this is mobile apps across the board, is the release cycles are pretty painful. Um, and th this is, again, this is mobile apps across the board. It's You, you pretty much, um, you, yeah, you're pretty much on Apple's timeline, whether you like it or not. Um, it gets better over time as they start to trust you as a as a developer and, um, and a publisher on the App Store. But yeah, the first few releases were pretty... Uh, pretty painful <laughs> yeah i guess it's good in a way that apple is so strict uh, but also really annoying if you're a legitimate entrepreneur actually trying yeah. to release um early well, versions of your product it's one of those as well where you put something out you, and you miss a bug and you see it in production oh, it's not yeah. like you can just do a very quick hot fix it's like oh god i'm gonna have to wait two weeks to fix this now uh, yeah. it's like, see that's why i do web <laughs> yeah yeah i mean yeah wait we are planning to go web very soon as, as well. So yeah. we'll, we'll have the mobile app and, and the website of things. Um, the mobile app is in a super, super good place now. It's, it's really steady and um, not too many bugs. Uh, there's probably, I, I would imagine there's, there's a few listeners that could find some bugs in there. But um, I think <laughs> Don't challenge get, them because they'll try. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that, that's the other good thing. That's, a, that's, that's why I actually really, really like building products for devs and, and tech people. It's like, not only will they they'll let you know about the bugs, but they're also willing to put up with bugs <laughs> because they've been there, done that, kind of got the t-shirt essentially, which is like everybody, if you talk to like your parents, everybody just assumes you're going to spit out an app that's on par with Uber. And yeah. it's, in the real world, that's just not how it works. And I think us as devs understand that, which is another reason why you can get something out that hasn't got all the kind of shiny nuts and bolts to it. Well, people are willing to sort of put up with the quirks. Um, and like I said, you can get that sort of drastic feedback from from our audience, which is, again, you know, we, we really tapped into the, the Haystack community and pretty much, you know, 99% of the feature ideas come from come from them, to be honest. We'll occasionally That's have a little really bit cool. of work at the moment. Uh, but yeah, most people are just telling us the direction that they, they want us to head in. 
Yeah, that's the best way to be. And I think, I guess a lot of devs would agree with me when I, when I say that um, I actually kind of feel like I've found like an Easter egg. If I, uh, if I yeah. break a website or, or app accidentally, I'm always strangely yeah. proud of myself and it's actually yeah, quite yeah. exciting. It doesn't really annoy me. <laughs> yeah, no, we love it to be honest. If somebody, if somebody flags it up, it's like, great, we'll get that one in because we probably missed it. Um, and yeah, people are, People love to give brutally honest feedback, which is like we all we always like a bit of bit of brutally honest feedback. Yeah, I finished Peter Levels' book uh, this week actually, um, and he said the first thing he adds to any of his applications that he builds uh, is a like chat box, um, right. and he said it's just how he gets all his feature ideas, all his bug fixes, yeah. just entirely through there. And he said just you end up getting more engaged users if you immediately fix issues that they report on or immediately address features that they suggest and, and people will become more engaged in, in, in your project going forward. Yeah, we did exactly the same with the app, um, which is you don't really see it very often. Um, in the little chat, one of the tabs is, is a chat tab um, and it's basically a direct line to us. Um, it's like you could literally message me or Jack, who's our community manager, um, give us a bit of feedback or just spitball some ideas and we'll pretty much get back to you kind of within a minute or so. Um, so yeah, yeah, like, yeah that's really we, cool. kind of, we, we like to keep it like that. It should feel like we are still a very much at startup stage, you know, there's, there's only 20 or so of us in the company. Um, so you've pretty much got a direct line to one of the founders. If you, if you think something's really bad, like just flag it up in the app to be honest and then we'll you know it will literally be discussed the following week in the in the product alignment sessions and how has it been going from being technically focused to more being on the commercial operation side even though as you said you're still doing a bit of code to be honest i, I always feel like I've, I've i think it's helped in a way it's one of those where i can kind of i can kind of apply the same sort of logic and thinking to how I would start to build out a code base to build now kind of the operations side of, of the business. Um, ultimately, it's all just numbers and that's kind of, I guess, percentages here and there. Um, lots of if statements everywhere. It's just, it's all, it's all kind of the, it's all kind of the same. Um, and like I say, I think, I think it's actually helped just that, that kind of critical thinking uh, sense. Um, and, and yeah, I, I do still like the coding side of things, to be honest. Um, oh, I actually do it still as, as a hobby. Um, just to, again, if I've got an idea, I'll, I'll spin something up and just start playing with it basically. Um, but yeah, and I think that the, the, one of the reasons why I have moved slightly more away from it is like I said, it's a needs must really, um, you know, I'm, kind of my job is to grow haystack at this point. Um, you know, the, the ultimate goal is, is to drive the company forward. And, um, you know, we've got a pretty grand mission and, and, and vision. And, um, I don't think I would be doing it justice if I was just necessarily sat, um, kind of cranking out lines of code. Uh, I think I kind of have to be, have to be banging the drum a little bit. Yeah, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I definitely think as well as companies grow, it's only natural that even if you are a technical kind of founder, that you're going to end up stepping away from the code. I think every tech company that I've worked in, it's very rare that a technical uh, a technical founder, no matter how much they know how to code, that they're coding every day. It's uh, yeah. 
um, yeah, in fact, actually, I can't think of a single company that I've worked for where it's been that case, even when I was a tech recruiter, even now as yeah. a software engineer. So, yeah, I totally, uh, totally get that. And I mean, you talked about the kind of grand plan. Um, and on, I mean, my first question would be, what, what is the grand plan? What do you see as the future of Haystack? And what, what's exciting you? What's the vision? Yeah, well, first thing is we're not just focused on the UK market. Um, at the minute, we are. This is kind of where we cut our teeth, but it's it's pretty much a global global problem. Um, I mean, the, the US is exactly the same as the UK, but just 10 times bigger, basically. Um, so naturally, we see ourselves progressing in, in a new markets pretty quickly, to be honest. Um, we've already kind of, we're, we're already starting to eye, eye it up. Um, I think the... I know you. I know you've worked in the in the space before. Um, our solution is a hundred percent a tech solution as well. That's the thing. It's not. We're not. It's not like we're trying to scale a recruitment agency, where mm. you need boots on the ground, people picking up phones and pestering developers. Um, we genuinely are building the community. Like people sign up to Haystack because they want to use Haystack, and they know that they're not going to get pestered by us. Um, that's super scalable. We could we could literally launch in the US. Again, you you need more cash behind it, but you we could launch in the US with the same product that we've got. Kind of load everything up and 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 I think we could start acquiring users pretty much overnight. Um, so it's not to say we haven't got the same challenges as like I say what what a recruitment agent uh, would have. So it's massively scalable. Um, and yeah, like I say, our sites are pretty much set on on overseas now yeah and that's the incredibly exciting thing about working in technology is just the fact that our solutions are just so scalable compared to everything else and yeah, yeah i think that that's what excites me about this industry more, more than anything else yeah, yeah. that's really cool to hear about how you want to expand beyond the uk i'm excited to see it yeah 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 like i said that's that that is the kind of natural stepping stone i think um you know the yeah the, the uk has always been like I said, we started in the Northeast initially, um, mm-hmm. but the way everything went with COVID and, and lockdown and stuff, it allowed us actually to move really, really quickly. Um, all of a sudden, everything went remote. So our, our initial kind of, um, I guess, go-to-market strategy was almost city by city. Um, so Newcastle, uh, Manchester, Birmingham, London, et cetera. But everybody pretty much went remote overnight and it kind of stayed that way. So it just meant that, right, we no longer just need to launch in Newcastle and Manchester. We launch in the entire UK within the space of a week. <laughs> um, and it's, it's, it's kind of proved, well, it's paid off, I would say. Yeah, I, I think one, one real interesting thing that's come out of the everyone going remote um, is the fact that regional tech, well, basically every tech scene outside of London I think yeah. has now seen a boost like mm. up here in Edinburgh and, and over in Glasgow. I mean, the, the way it is because Edinburgh and Glasgow are so physically close, even though they're very different cities, um, yeah. are kind of tech scenes basically intertwined. And since we've come out of COVID and the restrictions, it's been really buzzing um, up here. And I, I imagine it's it's pretty similar uh, down in Newcastle. Like it's, it's really, it feels like a really exciting time now that people yeah. are leaving, leaving London and, and going to other cities. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think it's just, again, it's one of those, it's sort of level of playing field for everybody now. Like, you don't just have to move to London if you want to get a decent salary. Or you kind of don't really have to put up with all the crap that came with living in London as well if you don't want yeah. to. 
you know, uh, obviously some people really like living in London, but um, some people don't. Um, and it just means that again, you, you're actually being valued on the skill set that you have rather than the fact that you have a London postcode. Yeah, exactly. I think if COVID made me realize one thing, it's that uh, I like visiting London every six weeks, but I don't like living yeah. there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not bad every once in a while. Maybe uh, go as a tourist and stuff, but yeah, I always feel like I, I leave London more tired than I uh, than I went in. Oh yeah, definitely the way. It's very it's very intense and very expensive. It always shocks me. Like literally, go down for work, get my plane or my train paid for, but then the amount of money I'm still able to somehow spend. <laughs> Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, but like I said, the the way everything's gone, it means that you can work for the really cool sort of up and coming startups or established scale ups in, in London, but from where you actually want to live, um, which I think is a, a you know a, a very good thing to be honest. Um, yeah, and it also means for companies, it's you don't just have to worry about if you did want to build a company in. Uh, Newcastle or Edinburgh or even a smaller tech hub like I don't know let's say Durham for instance in the northeast is a really really small city if you did want to build a, a tech startup there you have access to talent from literally across the UK um, it's not just you don't just have to look on your doorstep um, which in my opinion is a massively positive thing. Mm. Do you, would you say you have an overall positive view of the future of the UK tech market in in, in that respect? Then, one hundred percent, definitely, yeah, definitely. Uh, I think the UK tech market is the dominant force in the European tech market at the minute, and I can't see it slowing down. Um, it's uh, one thing I would say is all the all the cash does seem to go to London. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think we, especially in the north, we don't particularly see a huge amount of investment. Um, to be honest, it all seems to just pull towards towards the south. Um, but that being said, I can't see it slowing down. To be honest, yeah, yeah. I, I I agree. It's fu- it's funny though. I I often wonder like if I was setting up a business and I was fundraising, whether I would get a better deal and higher valuation if I just rented a like one desk office in london claimed that was hq and just worked from scotland uh like whether probably. i'd end up getting a higher valuation yeah probably yeah yeah i think it's just it's again it's one of those you rub shoulders with um, yeah that's yeah it's just a higher concentration so you've got a you've got a better chance i think down there yeah there's more people to speak to more firms to speak to i think if you're up in the in the provinces so to speak like, well, like where i am um <laughs> It's just a, a much smaller market, basically. Yeah, that could be a good thing equally, though, because I feel like sometimes you end up getting hotbeds in a smaller market where suddenly a load of very innovative businesses come out. Like, I'm yeah, trying yeah. to think off the top of my head now what happened in Edinburgh in the mid-2000s, but Skyscanner was the big dog out of all of them. Um, yeah. But then an even better example, because it's a smaller city, is Dundee. The amount mm-hmm. of amazing game studios that came out of Dundee so quickly. Like, if yeah. you end up having a few very smart people, I'm not including myself in that equation, a few, a few very smart people in one location, then you can have some really exciting things coming out of it, even if it's not like, quote unquote, a major city. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, we, we've seen that in, in Newcastle as well. I mean, we, we've got Sage up here, which is um, one of the biggest oh, yeah, of course. ever in the UK. Um, you know, absolute behemoth. But yeah, Sky's kind of a great example of a, a, a Scottish uh, tech startup. Well, not, no longer a startup, obviously, but yeah, it's a Scottish tech company. Um, they're actually one of our, our customers. Um, it's they're yeah, they've got a 
unbelievable product, unbelievable team, unbelievable brand. Um, and it's pretty much, you know, they, they are pretty much champion, the champion in the, the Scottish tech scene, I would say. Um, but yeah, I completely agree. If you get a lot of smart people in the, in, in a room, <laughs> interesting, great <laughs> things happen, basically. Um, there's kind of, the, yeah, there's, there's nothing else for it, really. Yeah, these effects do seem to compound. And uh, I think it's exciting. I, th- I think there's a lot we can, there's a lot of exciting stuff going on in the UK. And um, I think we're, we seem to be coming out of COVID pretty positively. And, yeah. you know, the US market seems to be hit pretty badly. And I've seen quite a bit the German market's been hit pretty badly. But actually, the UK yeah. seems to be relatively healthy in, in, in general. Obviously, there has been some layoffs and that sort of thing. Um, I think yeah. we're still looking pretty stable. Yeah, yeah. Um... I mean, the world's got to keep turning. <laughs> that's yeah. that's one thing that everybody quickly realised. I think during COVID, um, we've got to still keep making things. Everybody's still got to work. Everybody's still got to contribute. Um, things just can't all of a sudden come to a halt. Um, so yeah, I think again, it's one of those where obviously the big tech layoffs and stuff are going to be the things in the headline. But what you don't see in the headlines is actually there's some great companies still growing extremely quickly um, and yeah. companies still absolutely flying. So yes, there might be Amazon and Facebook who would dominate the, dominate the headlines. But we, we personally, as a, as a jobs platform, obviously we've got a lot of jobs on Haystack. Ours have actually grown. I think we've, we did something like quadruple the amount of jobs that we did this month um, compared to like six months ago when you know everything was apparently sweet <laughs> um so it we we haven't felt it particularly um and it's it probably is because we're not massively over indexed by huge tech companies to be honest we've got a we've got a full kind of the full breadth from up and coming startups all the way through to enterprise companies um but like i said i think everybody everybody can be um obviously everybody it shocks everybody about these big headlines but actually I think if you look beneath the surface and see what 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 what's actually going on, people are still going to work. People are still plugging away. There's still a lot of growth happening in the tech sector. Um, mm. So it's it's not all doom and gloom, I'd say. And those Fang engineers, they're not going to quit coding. They're going to go somewhere. So they're either going to go to a high exactly. growth startup or they're yeah. going to start their own thing. So how exciting is that? Like yeah. really, it's kind of kind of a circle of life, really, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think. There's, yeah, I mean, what I heard anyway was, I don't know if it's the case over here, but a lot of, uh, I know it happens quite a lot in, in Silicon Valley, if there, if there is a big um, kind of surge of layoffs in a, in, a, in a big company, another company with bigger coffers who is more recession-proof will basically just come up and snap snap up all of the talent anyway. Um, yeah. So, the, 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 again, it comes back to, is your skill set in demand? <laughs> yes, very much so. Okay, you, you, I think everything will be fine. <laughs> Yeah. And then at that point, you just got to remember to roll the punches and make sure that your skills aren't getting too stale. Um, you know, and and then that's just the simple case of just doing something like checking the Haystack app to find out who's got the most popular uh, tech stacks and that kind of thing. Yeah. Good, good, good. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe I've got maybe it's rose tinted glasses and, and all that perspective, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I think. I think it'll it'll all be fine. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I think it'll all be fine unless Chat GPT comes to uh, write all our code for us. But the code yeah, for well, me is a bit dodgy, so I'm not too worried. Speaking of, I would be if I was Stack Overflow, I would be sweating a little bit. Um, well, they banned it. 
Yeah, that's what I've heard. Yeah, that's yeah. what I've heard. Um, I mean, I don't know how they're banded. Yeah. <laughs> so you can you can test now if an answer was generated by it. There's this uh, oh, really? Canadian yeah. PhD student. Yeah, he came up with a way, which is like the ultimate grass, really. Um, because <laughs> yeah, he, found, yeah. he found it as a way to see if people were cheating on assignments. And right. I tell you what, if I'd been in school when this had come out, completely yeah. everything would have been written using ChatGPT for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is it is ridiculously good. To be fair, <laughs> it is insanely good. I, I literally use it every day now, just for <laughs> writing ridiculous poems about my co-founder to <laughs> bits of copy and stuff. It's like, yeah. Um, and it, that is the best use for it. It's bits of copy because, yeah. um, and hopefully it's not too obvious to listeners. Most of my episode descriptions, <laughs> I will pop in a, a transcription of the episode and say like, so for example, for this, my prompt will be, um, can you generate an episode description for the Coder Career where Cameron and Mike do this uh, interview and then I'll copy and paste our transcription and then it will maybe take 30 seconds, but it'll generate me like an SEO friendly, like really yeah. good uh, episode description. It's way better than anything I could write. Yeah, I, I found that it, literally if you feed it enough info, it'll actually spit out something that's very, very impressive. The challenge is just feeding it, feeding it the right kind of info, yeah. I think. Um, and that's a new I'm, job. It's going to be a chat GPT uh, yeah. operator. I'm, I'm very interested to see where that whole thing goes. I mean, I'm, a lot of people are. I'm, I'm very, I've pretty much jumped on the bandwagon, to be honest. Um, but yeah, I think that's, there's some insane stuff going to be coming out of that, I think. Um, again, I think some professions which you can kind of see immediate applications for it's like law if uh, yeah reading through crazy contracts and stuff it's like surely that there has to be an application for that somewhere um like copywriting is another one that obviously we've already touched on there's there's so much like seo writing <laughs> like the, the applications are just endless at the minute um yeah so something interesting about it, though, um, I've been trying to get it to write regular expressions for me, and it crashes it each time. So Does I don't it? know all what right. that's all about. Yeah, I've, I've tried that... it four different times. Tried it on a rival version. Tried it on I think it's called Jasper AI. I tried it on that. Crashed yeah. it as well. I don't know. Yeah. It, it wasn't a hard one. I was just like, "Can you give me the JavaScript regular, regular expression to only allow email, uh, only allow email addresses?" So yeah. I was just trying to do it for a TikTok. I was like trying to do a little series on like what you can actually use ChatGPT for as a software engineer. Yeah, yeah. But I keep crashing the thing, and then it then it banned me for twenty four hours. So yeah. I, I don't, All right. yeah, I don't know why I hate regular expressions so much. Yeah, you think regex is one of the uh, one of the like kind of simpler ones. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, that's strange. Um, I'm sure they'll probably come up with a, a crazy update that all of a sudden does uh, their absolute wizard in regex. Yeah, um, I hope so. I just hope it doesn't become a complete wizard at, at React. Otherwise, yeah, yeah, uh, I may be replaced by some bloke just typing well, out. Uh, come on. I mean, I was talking about this in the office. We we were talking about this in the office. Um, in my opinion, I don't think we're going to see people immediately re- replaced, but I think we're going to see people replaced by people who are proficient at using it. Mm. Yeah, um, AI won't take a job, but someone using it will. Yeah, pretty much. That's kind of, that, that, I think that's my take on it anyway, for, for what it's yeah. worth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think it's the most realistic way for, because like people would, uh, I can I can imagine it's like someone refusing to use Git or something like that. It's like unimaginable now. But yeah. I mean, I guess both of us started our careers way too late to see people who um, who wouldn't use Git. But I imagine there are probably people around that wouldn't. Or yeah, yeah, that yeah. refused to abandon Flash and stuff like that. You know, stuff moves on. Yeah, yeah the good old days. 
<laughs> cool. So if people want to um, find out more about Haystack, what, what's the best way to, uh, well, what's the best way to find out more? You said it's on the app stores, right? Yep. Yeah. So we're on App Store and Play Store. So you should be able to find us if you just search for Haystack. Um, website is haystackapp.io. Um, we need to drop the app in there. I think everybody gets confused. So at some point, it'll change, hopefully, to haystack.io, but we'll see. Um, yeah, so haystackapp.io. Um, and then if people want to find me on, on LinkedIn, just Mike Davies. Brilliant. Uh, link to that will be in the description. But yeah, thanks so much for coming on uh, the show today, Mike. It was a really interesting chat, and best of luck with everything with Haystack. It looks really exciting. Good stuff. All right. Cheers, Cam.